previously on the Tony Kornheiser Show. Hope I don't see you in person anytime soon, but if you find yourself feeling ill, do me a favor and grab an extra pair of Skechers on your way out. I'm a size 11, but for a free pair of kicks, I could manage to squeeze into a 10 and a half. Love, dead Burt Reynolds. P.S. A new guy showed up this morning. He went out on his bike last night and wore black. This has the fingerprints of Greg Garcia all over it to me. <laughs> to me. Absolutely. It's brilliant. It's totally brilliant. And it also means that Greg somehow got Burt Reynolds stationary. <laughs> the Tony Kornheiser Show is on now. In fact, it was Greg. Um, it was Greg. Greg and I went back and forth. It is totally brilliant. Greg's regret was that he did not ask his parents to mail the letter from Virginia because he felt that might throw me off the scent. It, it would have been the perfect have. crime. Yeah, it would not have because who's going to send this to me? It's, well, I, I got a it's great the email. steps. I got a, a great email about this particular thing. Now, of course, I can't find it. Oh, darn, I can't find the email. But it was it was very smart. Michael Vamp for a while. I'll try well, I was going to help you email. look for the email. No, I'll try and get it. Okay, well, are you ready to admit that you were wrong about your phone app's prediction for 12 to 18 plus with Kip Sheeman's winter forecast? Well, I was listening <laughs> to Kevin. I mean, I really was. I've got are the we email. still waiting for the wraparound? Yeah, I've got the email here. This is from Jim Flynn in Colbert, Connecticut. Tony. Could the letter actually be from Burt Reynolds? No. No, the letter is not from Burt Reynolds. No. It's, it's the detail with the signature. Everything. The well, weight, it is his, it is his stationery. The stationery. Yeah, it is Burt Reynolds' stationery. So I got an interesting note from Peter Melman about this, because I said I didn't think it was Melman. It could have been Melman, but I thought it was Greg. It wasn't Melman. And then it may have been Breen, but I got nothing from Breen, because Breen doesn't listen to the podcast. And Melman does. And Melman said that when he was doing Seinfeld, in, a, in an adjoining lot close by, Burt Reynolds was doing something called Evening Shade. And, uh, and Melman talked to him a bunch and liked him a lot. And he said Greg, one of Greg's shows was on that same lot. So that's how Greg might have met Burt Reynolds and might be influenced to having all these things like his stationery and um, pictures of him with Charles Nelson Riley and ties that he gave away to other people. Anyway, that is, that is the explanation of that. And I just thought it was tremendous. Just tremendous, because Greg is that smart. You can't stop creativity. Greg also sent me, um, he sent me a, a video of he, him accepting the award, uh, an Emmy for My Name is Earl, which is hysterically funny. His thanks are hysterically funny. <laughs> yes, I also sir, wanted Greg. to read two more emails, one from John Hyman. I've been meaning to write for a while. At least once a week, I follow up on the artists you play for the bumps. Sad, guitar, sad Girls with Guitars is my go-to genre. As a type, I'm grooving. Yep, I'm old enough to have used this word unironically. To Kelly Neff. How the heck did I not know of her? She kills. Thanks for the tunes and the yak yak. We get these, as Michael and Nigel and Sean know, we get these every once in a while. People loving the songs. And then they go on and they purchase songs by the artist. And from Jolene Wojcik. Um, so Ian from New Jersey got a PTI shout out because he sent you ravioli. Pasta. Pasta. We're talking about pasta. I'll wait now for my shout out on PTI. Or can you include me in the notables? Happy, happy's the big finish. Any spot would be fine. Signed Jolene from Nebraska, who does go to the Masters every single year and sends you and the crew Masters stuff every year, including a 2020 Masters Cup and ball marker, which Michael has. Maybe if you can make it into the 2021 group of patrons. Still sorry about that, Jolene. I, I'll hang up and listen, she writes. Well, last week, one of the things Bonnie does 
when we play the fortune teller game is Bonnie reaches out to Littles to find out if they want to actually do the questions. In other words, record their voices. And Bonnie said to me, Jolene has done one of the questions. And it said from Jolene. And when the question was over before answering, because it's my turn to go first on that particular game, I go, Jolene from Nebraska. She goes to the Masters every year. <laughs> and so Jolene was very, very happy about that, for which I am thrilled. And she probably feels a little bit bad about sending me this nasty note. But, it's all about timing. Yeah, that's, that's how it works. All right. As Michael said, the snow we were supposed to get, according to Kevin, was going to be 6 to 10 and maybe 12 plus if things worked out. I would say we got three to five, three to six. Three to five during Sunday proper. Yeah, and we're expecting another inch more, maybe. Maybe another, maybe another inch. We had some warm temps overnight. And if you were watching local NBC4 Sunday morning, Chuck Bell, they, they bring in the big guns for this. He was visibly distraught when he was mentioning this trough of warm air coming in from the Midwest and up through Western Virginia and said, if, if only, if only, if only what could have been, we could have had a monster. Well, so we didn't. I'm happy to say, I think that New York, Sean, you say you have a foot, right? Yeah, in a New foot York. plus of powder. Yeah, and I think, I think from Philadelphia North, uh, they got big snow. I think Binghamton was, I, I saw on a map last night, Binghamton was going to get over a foot as well. I hate snow. I hate driving in it. I hate walking the dog in it. I mean, I love looking at it, but that's as far as it goes. So I'm thrilled that we didn't get as much as was predicted. And even Nigel's little car could have gotten to the bagel place today. Could have if he wanted to. Yeah, the to. roads were fine. but He it, could have. He didn't want to. Making it out of his street would have been tough. Yeah, yeah, he could have. He could have tried. You know what I mean? Or he could have gotten a few people to just carry the car. Well, let he, me just, he still might be able to try. The it's show's too not late now. Let, let me explain. This was the Hammer's first snowstorm. Oh, did you you walked him around in it? We, he loved this it. This was the this was the best snow for little kids because we could have a snowball fight. We were basically recreating Berenstain Bears No Girls Allowed as we threw snowballs at Mama Bear and and Sister Bear uh, and Kate. And okay, my impression of my wife changes around events like this where we wake up and she's like, "Okay, boys, let's get into our base layers. Base <laughs> layers? Are we staying at a lodge? Yeah, that's great." So I got very fortunate last night. I am. Um, I got a note from my doctor, Chris Duke. During the middle of the day yesterday, and after he he had it's so great, he had bought Butcher Box and he was really happy. He was getting all this free stuff that I he wasn't got the steaks, getting. He had the bacon. Yeah, he got the lobster tails. No all, chance he got the ribs. All the stuff I wasn't getting because I got on Butcher Box early. He so your got, money paid for his extra. I guess, I guess. And he wrote me at the end of the note, the end of the text. He said, "Do not shovel. Do not. I'm I'm in the vulnerable age. You know, if I shovel, I die." So um, I called. I mean, I know Michael said he would come over, but I didn't know the timing of that. So I called Finn. I texted Finn of Pineapple Landscaping. And I said to your guys, he says, yes, we do. We go out and we shovel our, our clients. We do that. And so they came over late last night, around 9 o'clock last night, and shoveled the walk and did everything for which I am eternally grateful. If people um, And I endorse, of course, Pineapple Land Landscaping. You can find it. It's in... It's based in Maryland. Finn does it. It's good. So that's that's all of the news of the day, except for the thing that I wanted to get to specifically with Michael, which is for those of you who have no football to watch, like me, you watch a lot of golf on the weekends, especially when it's Torrey Pines, which is in La Jolla, just a little bit south of San Diego. And though it appeared to be very cold for that area, it appeared to be in the 50s or low 60s because a lot of people wearing jackets. Um, it was still beautiful relative which happens there in January. Yeah. Relative to what I was looking at. It was still beautiful. Okay. On Saturday, the notorious Patrick Reed on the 10th hole 
felt that his ball may have been embedded. He walked over to the ball. He picked up the ball. And he felt underneath the ball. He didn't clean the ball. He felt underneath the ball in the ground to see if there was an imprint. Are you imprint. not supposed to do that in golf? Yeah, apparently you're not. If, see if there was an imprint. Then he called over a tour official. And the official said, okay, I get it. It's fine. We'll give you a drop. It appears to have been embedded. Now, balls don't usually get embedded on second bounces. They don't. And that was the second bounce. But what Patrick Reed said was, look, none of us, none of my playing partners, nobody saw the first bounce. And we don't have a crowd. So we walked over to the closest person who was there, and she said it, she thought it was embedded. Fine. This is the explanation. The rules officials allowed for this, and there was never, at the end of the day, there was never a ruling that said, we are penalizing Patrick Reed two shots for what he did. Even if they had done that, just going by the mathematics, Patrick Reed would have won the tournament yesterday. But the larger controversy involved almost everybody who comments for CBS. And I, I want to bring Michael in because Michael plays golf. What were your thoughts of what Patrick Reed did on Saturday and someone in his camp tweeting out, hey, Rory McIlroy did the same thing on number 18? Yeah, so the fact that you that you intro him and tee him up as the notorious Patrick Reed means it's impossible to look at what he did today without thinking about what he did or alleged to have done when he was a college player, what he did at the Hero World Challenge two years ago, where, where you're bringing back sort of these 1980s accusations with player and Watson as to angles or what's behind the ball, and he wants you to go to tape. No, this, this comes down to a basic question. Do you think he's a cheater? Or then do you think he cheated? Because right now you have a paradox within the rules of golf. Fair is foul, foul is fair, hover through the fog and filthy air. You have somebody who seems to be able to use his persona, his brand, his bulldogish personality, and the rules of golf to get what he wants. And it comes down to the fact that did the rules of golf allow him to do what he did? Yes, if we go back to a basic rule, it says to rule 16-4, if you reasonably believe that your ball lies in a condition where free relief is allowed under the rules, but you cannot decide that without lifting your ball, you may mark the spot and lift the ball to see if relief is allowed. So again, without the fans, he's allowed to go to the marshal. Did you see the ball bounce? As soon as you get some doubt or you may not know did the marshal see everything the marshal's maybe 15 feet away you might as well just say i'm gonna wait i'm i'm gonna wait till the rules guy gets here because he does call over the rules official and normally in those situations the rules official will call up the tv booth and say can you see if it bounced and again you have a heavy rough that is seaside that has thick air it's notoriously thick and you're also preparing something uh, preparing for the U.S. Open in June. So this rough is probably nastier than it's going to be. So it's not it's not out of the realm of possibility that you're going to get a lot of embedded balls. As you say, with the spin and bounce, it's unlikely it's going to be on the second then bounce. So if there is that question, just wait. If you, if you have any self-awareness as to who you are and reputation and you care about that, wait, put the ball down, do not lift it. Though again, he uses the rules where he's trying to say it's about pace of play. And you saw yesterday, he hits a bunker shot to about a foot and a half. He goes ahead, cleans it up so that the other players who are struggling in the hole can catch up. So it's 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 understanding who he is. It's understanding the rules of golf, which did change with regard to embedded balls, which is mostly for weekend play like us. Okay. Every single person that CBS went to, that Nance went to, Nance was sitting in his palatial home uh, in Pebble Beach, and everybody else was down in La Jolla. But he went to Nick Faldo, and he went to Ian Baker Finch. Both of those guys have won majors in their lives. He went to Frank Nabilo, who was on the tour, and he went to Dottie Pepper, who was on the tour and was a great player. And every one of them said, in one form or another, hey, 
you got to wait for the rules official. You just can't pick up the ball. That's not how it works. You can't pick up the ball. Golf is a sport where people call penalties on themselves. It's an honorable sport. It Everybody, was that sport. Now right. It sport. But, but it does seem to me that Patrick Reed, within the current rules, played by the rules. Yes. And, and so this, again, is a sport that is changing to where you have armchair rules officials who are saying, that's a football move. That's not a football move. What's a catch? Can I tell what this looks like? And all along in golf, you've had players who might say, I saw the ball enter on this line. I happen to be the biggest name in this group, so I'm going to take my drop here. I mean, you see this from junior tours where whoever barks the loudest gets the rule, whether it's off a cart path or dropping a ball or taking relief or even something as simple as an unplayable lie where you might say, no, I I actually have this line to the green. I can take this. And it ends up saving you these shots that add up to a lot. You start to wonder if this was, say, not Torrey Pines where – it's on in prime time. It sort of feels like the unofficial start to the regular tour because it's so different than what we're getting here. And again, it's a U.S. Open year. Now now imagine if you're the new producer for CBS Golf, your first weekend on the job, and you get this, which then starts trending everywhere. Well, it was really good. And, and after the tournament, Amanda Balionis did a very good job of recreating that from the day before. She was kind about it. She asked for Patrick Reed's opinion, which is exactly what you want her to do. And he said, look, I played by the rules. I totally played by the rules. I slept well at night. So I was happy with all of that, and I found it interesting that all the CBS guys sided the other way. But what I would suggest is they're older. They played at a time where you never would have done this, never, ever, and people who did it were cheats. But now things have changed, and I will liken it to this. The other day when, when LeBron James pushed Joel Embiid and Embiid landed hard, the first thing Doc Rivers said Doc Rivers, Embiid's coach, Embiid said, this is a flagrant two. And Doc Rivers said, everybody knows LeBron's not a dirty player. Everybody knows Rory McIlroy is not a dirty player. But had that been Markeith Morris, that would have been ruled a two-shot flagrant foul and ejection. Because your reputation matters. Do you agree with that? I, I totally agree with that, and that's why when you actually look at when he does call the rules official over, the types of moves that are going through a cheater's mind as to how he controls a conversation, because this is picked up, and you start to go, well, it's an embedded ball, right? And you start to wonder, how does the scale of influence of power between this rules official, who's supposed to be the determining factor of this, versus Patrick Reed, major winner, who has the mic, who has the camera, who's trying to control this and get what he wants, say, just can you feel if it was embedded or not? And so you don't know, what, what's he doing when he picks up the golf ball? What subtle gesture? It's not just dropping a ball down your pant leg or saying you found something in the rough. This is also a player where, on the record, Peter Costas, very respected announcer, was on the No Laying Up podcast, I think it was last year, and he goes, I've seen Patrick Reed improve his lie in the rough. He saw it at Torrey Pines. He saw it at, um, at uh, the course in Farmingdale, Bethpage Black. So courses where you have traditionally big thick rough he seen him at, at Beth Page. you would say he could not advance a wedge out of that lie and the move is he brings four or five clubs over takes a couple of practice swings checks the lie a couple more practice swings before you know it he's hit a three wood out of it <laughs> and so yeah so again think about the all the amateur tournaments where you don't have the cameras on you don't have you know your your group is on the other side of the fairway and you look here and you just wonder what is he doing when he whenever the whenever the hand goes to the ball are you adding that little imprint are you trying to get that that little lift do you think Patrick Reed cheats uh, I think he cheats. Okay. But then good. again, you, you start to say, how, are the, how do you cheat within the rules of golf? And, and that, I think, is this gray area that exists in all sport. Rules, um, cheaters will tell you rules are made to be broken. What cheaters will also do is they'll, they'll push it as far as they can push it. And if you catch them, they'll just say, oh, you caught me this time. 
Doesn't mean they'll stop. Doesn't mean they'll stop. We will take a break. Uh, we will come back. Jason Lock and Fora, he's got to go early today, right? So we have Jason Lock and Fora. Will Bond will be second guest on the show. I am Tony Kornheiser. This, this is the Tony Kornheiser Show. Tony Kornheiser Show. This is the FitBot ad. I don't even have to do it. Nigel, why don't you explain what FitBot is and how you use it? Well, FitBot's great. It's an app you've got on your phone. And if you're not comfortable going to the gym right now or you're not able to go to the gym, Having FitBot on your phone is like having a personal trainer right there with you. It gives you all the exercises you want to do, depending on what you want to do with your body and how aggressive you want to be. And it gives you videos so you don't have to, you know, what am I supposed to do here? It just walks you through everything. It really is just brilliant. Even if you don't have any equipment, it'll show you things to do right at your very own home. One of the pieces of copy says to me, talk about some of your toughest fitness goals, like losing that last 10 pounds, doing a one-arm push-up or running a marathon. Okay, I have no desire to run a marathon. I never do. push-ups? I don't want to do a one-arm push-up. I'm not Richard Kimball. I'm not chasing somebody. <laughs> and I already lost the last 10, so don't worry about it. FitBot <laughs> understands that the path to achieving your best looks different for everyone. FitBot creates a program based on your unique body experience and environment. Their algorithm uses data and analytics, as Nigel said, to help you build on your last workout to maximize your results. Whether you are exercising three days a week or twice a day, or not at all, every workout is scientifically proven to be better than the last. FitBot workouts are balanced to avoid overworking muscles, if you have muscles, with varied, varied exercises to keep you sharp. No equipment, as Nigel said, no worries. FitBot has bodyweight routines for those looking to get fit at home or on the go. FitBot is super easy to use and even has HD video tutorials to make learning new exercises a breeze. Build the momentum to carry your fitness journey through the rest of the year with FitBot. And you can get 25% off a membership when you sign up now through February 28th at FitBot, F-I-T-B-O-D, dot me slash Tony. That's 25% off your membership at FitBot, dot me slash Tony. And, of course, use the code, people. We have a new sponsor of the show, Michelob Ultra. So I'd like to celebrate their joining us. You know, beer is synonymous with celebrating after a big win. It goes hand-in-hand hand with the joy that athletes experience from victory. Because of that, there is a perception that happiness and beer only come at the end of a journey, only come after the grind, after the hard work, after the win. Michelob is setting out to dismantle that perception. By partnering with some of the greatest athletes and proven winners of all time, they are demonstrating that happiness comes before the victory and that joy is a crucial ingredient on the road to success. Even the greatest athletes in the world choose to take time off the court or field to unplug, to have a beer with friends, and find balance. Michelob is not discounting the hard work and commitment that it takes to become a world-class athlete and win championships, but they firmly believe that enjoyment and balance are crucial components of the winning formula. It's not just about professional athletes. Everyone out there should know that they can and should enjoy themselves on the road to success in life, and that they should permit themselves to have fun, smile more, and have a beer with friends, like having a Michelob Ultra, 95 calories, 2.6 grams of carbs. It's only worth it if you enjoy it. This is the Tony Kornheiser Show. The Tony Kornheiser Show. This music is sent to us by George Washburn, who writes, Hey again, Tony, I was talking to Maureen the other day. Is Maureen Maureen Burke? Is that who we're talking about? Is it? No, I think it's a different a, Maureen. A Maureen different Doyle. Maureen. Okay. Yes. Okay. And she implored me to send you more music. So here are two church and state cuts. I guess that's the name of his group, Church and State. Both firmly in B-side territory as they compared to the first batch. Don't denigrate your music. You shouldn't do that. 
George, you should not. This is called You Get What You Get, and it plays in Jason Lockenfora of CBS. And and the first question I had, and we'll, we'll get to football stuff because there's a lot of football stuff, but on a personal level, um, when do you go to Tampa or this year is the C- CBS is doing the game, so I assume you're going to be there. Um, I am, Tone. Yeah, it's, it's a little different week um, in, a, in what has been obviously a, a different season, but I will uh... – I have to take a test today here uh, in Maryland and then send that in. And then if that goes well, then I fly um, Thursday and then get tested again uh, when I land. And then, you know, if that goes well, then uh, we're good to go for the weekend. There's very limited media involvement this year. It's not at all like it usually is. CBS is going to have more access than anybody else because they're doing the game and they're a partner of the league and the league wants 80 million people to watch. But will you have any direct interviews? Like what, what will your workday look like compared to a regular normal year? Um, me personally, it probably won't be that different. I, I don't think, um, you know, we have a production meeting today. I don't, I don't have a ton of details just yet on exactly how everything's going to flow and, um, you know, what things will be like when we're not on camera, um, you know, what the green room situation will be like. I mean, obviously, you know, there's going to be social distancing. There's going to be some of the the common sense health protocols that um, we'll be following that will probably make things a little bit different. Um, In terms of the guys who are covering the game, I mean, you know, that, you know, our crew um, and Tony and Jim, Yep. I mean, normally they'd be down there all week. They'd be watching practice. You know, they'd have interactions at the, ho- the team hotels. They'd be able to have, um, you know, conversations, informal conversations, formal conversations. They'd have production meetings, you know, in person with the uh, with the players and coaches. And, and now, you know, as it's been all season long, all that's done virtually. Um, and the practice access, is, it just is what it is. That's That's not really – you know, that's not really feasible at this point in time. So I, I think for those guys, it's it's obviously been a different sort of challenge, but one that by this point in the season, you know, everyone, everyone kind of understands it and makes the best of it. They are not. Nansen and Romo, God bless them, love them both, but they are not reporters. You're a reporter. Um, I imagine, as you were suggesting before, that your work is sort of the same, that your sources are sort of the same that your aim is the same even with a more limited access yes. you've got people to go to right you know who you, you know who you're talking to yeah yeah i mean a lot yeah. of it's done on the phone you know what i mean anyway yeah. Yeah. And, and over text and and um you know occasionally a zoom although i i really don't like to zoom unless i have to i'm fine just talking on the phone um yeah. i'm a bit of a dinosaur in many ways um so yeah for for me it, it, even if i was down at the super bowl I would be running around from set to set. You know, we'd have norm- we'd have a bunch of locations around the city in a year in which we were doing the game, and and we do still have programming on around the clock um, on CBS Sports Network that I'm a part of in many ways. Except you know, Monday through Wednesday, I'm in I'm doing it from home, and then um, Thursday travel, and then hopefully Friday, um, you know, I get good test results, and then I can I can do some stuff from down there as well. Okay, let's get to the news. The big news over the weekend is Matthew Stafford. This didn't take long. He went to the L.A. Rams for a 
big price. He went for not only the other, you know, this is an exchange of number one overall draft picks, which never happens. Yeah. Not only did Jared Goff come in return to Detroit, but Detroit got two number one picks as well. Los Angeles Rams don't have a number one pick till 2080. They don't care about it. It doesn't mean anything to them. That is their philosophy, which is fine. What do you make of the trade overall, and what do you make of the stiff price the Rams are going to pay? Well, I mean, that is how they're operating. I mean, that'll be, we'll reach a point here seven years without a first round pick. Now, you can say that's your MO. I would also say you're, you're, you're playing with one hand tied behind your back. I mean, that is, that should be, um, a great, you know, pipeline of, of replenishment that if you do it half decently, uh, also gives you incredible roster flexibility and cap flexibility because some of your best players are some of your cheapest players. But, that won't be the case for them, and that's not the end of the world. I just think you need to be realistic about why this trade makes sense for both sides, which it does. I think it makes a lot of sense for both sides. That's because they've done a lot of uh, misguided things to reach a point where Detroit um, is rebuilding again, and the best trade chip they have is a 33-year-old quarterback who's very much in his prime, who most of the league thinks is much better than maybe the average fan thinks because of the situation he's dealt with in Detroit for his basically the entirety of his career, which is people running the team who don't have a whole lot of history or success running teams, um, you know, an ownership group that has not done much right, and a, a team that's been unable to sustain a run game or play much defense, which makes life difficult for a quarterback. Um, but here we are. There's another new regime coming in, young guys, six-year deals, they want to build through the draft. Um, well, how do we get more draft picks, and where do we go at the quarterback position? Well, we're going to go young and cheap. But in return for that, we're going to take this horrible contract. And hats off to the Fords for being willing to pay Jared Goff the next two years, knowing that he, by, the, by year two he's maybe the highest paid backup in the NFL if they find their quarterback in the draft this year. But that was the price of doing business. If you want this bonanza of draft picks, we got to get out from under this other contract so that we can bring in Matt Stafford and still be able to run our football team. We can't have both these quarterbacks. And so it eventually worked out, and it, it's kind of like an NBA trade. It might be a win-win for both teams moving forward. It, it wouldn't stun me if it is, assuming the Lions draft well, but that doesn't mean it's not a lose-lose to be in this position today where one team overpaid a guy they hoped and prayed would be a franchise dude, and now they're willing to give up extra to get him out of the building. And the other team has a guy who's been a franchise guy just without anything much around him. And at this point, they're ready to move on while there's all these other teams lined up saying, hell yeah, we like Matt Stafford. We'll take him. We'll take him. We'll take him. I mean, that's not ideal either. See, what I, as I looked at this, and I don't know if I'm in a minority or a majority viewpoint on this, I believe that the, the, everything about the Detroit Lions over a long period of time conspired to undercut Matthew Stafford. Yes. I believe that he makes the Los Angeles Rams a Super Bowl team by himself with everything else they have, including the best defense in the league. But I also believe that Jared Goff will go to Detroit and basically have the same record as Matthew Stafford. I mean, I, you know, I, I actually think that Detroit wins in that regard because they're playing the long game. But I, I think Stafford is significantly better, for example, than Wilbon thinks he is. And Wilbon watches that division because the Bears are in it. Yeah, I'm I'm a Stafford guy. I, I, I think he, when he's had anything stable around him, has, has 
has more than done his part. And I think in a, in a, with that coaching staff, with Sean McVay, with the pieces they already have, I think he will be on the outskirts of an MVP candidacy. I really do. And I go back to 2019, and by midseason, I was like, there's not many people, maybe a couple quarterbacks doing it better than him, and then injuries came up again. He had the hip. Um, he started getting you know, crushed, and, and that season pretty much slipped away. Um, and then this past year, I mean, obviously Patricia came in under the gun. They just weren't. They weren't a functional organization. The players didn't like the coach. It's kind of here we go again. Um, I don't think golf's going to win a lot of games this year, and I don't think the Lions are worried about winning a lot of games this year. I think it's all about getting over the hump, taking one step back so they can take a bunch forward with as many high picks as they can get. Um, yeah, I, I think I think Matt Stafford will win a bunch of games with uh, the Rams. I think he'll look really good in the process. Um, but it's really hard to win a Super Bowl. And the difference between being a much better team but being the best team could be some of these first-round picks that they've sacrificed. It's, that's certainly possible. That's the, that's the long game that both teams play yep. in, in this. Uh, okay, Deshaun Watson, a new coach comes in. He's very optimistic. A new general manager comes in. They both say, Deshaun Watson, we're not trading him. He's not going anywhere. Will Deshaun Watson be with Houston next year, Jason? I think in the end he's probably not, but this is not on the timeline that Stafford was on. This is this is not expedited. This is not uh, to use the term uh, Dan Campbell, the Lions coach, used hot and heavy uh, in terms of of this trade activity. There's plenty of interest out there, but this is not a situation where ownership and the GM and the coach are all in lockstep with the player that we got to move him and we got to move him quickly. Um, there's going to be a period of time here where Cal McNair, the owner, is, is going to have to probably see this thing get uglier and uglier before he – and also, you know, watch these sort of uh, trade offers come trickling in and then eventually reach a point where, you know, they're convinced that this is what we have to do, where, where the owner becomes convinced that, yeah, Deshaun Watson isn't just venting. He isn't just frustrated. He's adamant that – He's not going to be around this spring or this summer if we try to bring him back. Um, and I suspect at some point leading up to the draft, there is enough on the table that Nick Casario, the new GM, can convince Cal McNair that, look, we, we've got to do this and move on and, and start focusing on the guys who want to be here and how we can rebuild the team with all these draft picks, including one that we're going to use for a new quarterback who will save us a lot of money while we rebuild. Um, I yeah. think they can get there. I just think it's going to have to probably get pretty messy before we do. Two minority hires um, of head coaches, two, uh, and I think seven or eight open jobs. How does the NFL, this is also part of your job, how does the NFL yes. feel about that, and what are we likely to see in terms of incentives for more yeah. things to happen? Yeah, I, I don't think it was a hiring cycle that anybody is crowing about by any stretch of the imagination. It began with some um, some cautious optimism from Rod Graves at the Fritz Pollard Alliance. I, I spoke to at the beginning of the process. You know, Troy Vincent from the NFL, who's really been championing this cause um, of of trying to make you know diversity and um, reaching out to a, 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 a sort of you know, multicultural pool of candidates, the norm 
you know, that people do because it just makes sense and it's good business, not because they have to. Um, and this cycle was circuitous and a little bit bizarre. And, and yes, there were two coaches of color hired. You know, one was in Houston where that process had to get really kind of um, off the rails and, and the quarterback, you know, vented. And, and yeah. then they kind of came around to talking to, um, you know, a more diverse pool and, and ultimately hired David Culley, um, you know, an African-American coach who had been overlooked by a lot of people over a long period of time. Um, but, you know, I, I, the G, on the GM ranks, I think things went a little bit more as some hoped they would. On the coaching side, no, they're still not there. They're not close to being there. And there's a lot of people at the NFLPA, a lot of current coaches, a lot of former coaches, a lot of current players, a lot of former players who still feel like the opportunities are going the other way. When they're, quote-unquote, risking something on somebody or taking a chance on a young guy or we just, you know, we liked his vision – those guys always sort of tend to be white, um, you know, and, and the idea that, that Marvin Lewis, you know, wasn't someone who got hired somewhere despite all the interest in him and despite what he's done in his career, you know, that, that, that has left some people a little bit baffled and befuddled. In terms of incentives, I, I, don't, I don't know how much more you can do with incentives until maybe eventually it's, it's not – the carrot, Tony, it's the stick. And it's the, if you do this, this, and this, you know, and, and you don't include people of color in those processes as you hire a GM and a coach and then another coach in a five-year period or, you know, some of these teams that are just constantly recycling people, then, okay, you can do that, but you do that at the, you know, if, if those coaches are all white, then you lose it. You forfeit a draft pick. Um, you know, do we get there? I, I don't know, but, but I've heard more and more talk in that regard, through this hiring cycle from, from coaches who got jobs, coaches who didn't get jobs, agents who represent guys who got jobs, didn't get jobs. You know, overall, um, what, what does it take to make the, you know, the coaching rooms and the, and the GM rooms look more like the locker rooms? Um, yeah. We're yeah. certainly not there yet, not by a long shot. Okay, one last thing, and then I'll have you plug your show. It's the last time we'll talk to you before the game. You had Brady getting in there. Um, just briefly, what are your leanings right now to who would win this game on Sunday? Yeah, I, I still um, – I, I have some concerns about the Chiefs' offensive line. I, I, I do. Um, that's an offensive line that looked like it was hitting the wall a little bit this time a year ago, and they're without – a lot of those key players now through COVID opt-outs and through injury. And I, I do worry a little bit about um, their ability to protect Mahomes against a defense that can, can get after you in some different ways. Um, the two weeks to prepare, uh, I think, and obviously it benefits both teams, but I, I really think Todd Bowles might be able to use that to his advantage in some different ways to target some of these individual offensive linemen who, who might be, you know, having a lot asked of them, maybe more, excuse me, than they can really handle for, you know, 65, 70 snaps, whatever that turns out to be. I think the extra rest will be huge for Tom Brady, who, you know, I think was hitting the wall himself a little bit in the second half of that game. Um, and now he's had a bye at week 13, and now he's sort of had, um, you know, another bye now at week 20 or whatever you want to call it. Um, 
and he gets to stay home and everything sort of your your the ultimate creature comforts for a Super Bowl. I don't think it's a huge factor, but it, it can't hurt. That's for sure. Um, it's so hard to repeat. So I, I do find myself, you know, leaning a little bit to Tampa finding a way to win this thing. Fantastic if that happened and he got seven out of ten. Un- absolutely fantastic. All right, plug the radio show for us. Uh, thank you, Tone. Um, I am on Inside Access from 2 to 6 daily on 105.7 The Fan in Baltimore. I'm not sure exactly how Thursday and Friday shows are going to go this week, um, but certainly I'll be doing my normal thing from the attic Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. So we are if you look into the Orioles at all. We are certainly starting to get a little bit more into baseball. We continue to set up the Ravens offseason, um, you know, talking about all the, the movement going on around the NFL, and certainly we'll be previewing the Super Bowl all week long. So, yeah, if you can't get enough of me here, please tune in. You can also stream anywhere on the Radio.com app. Thank you, Jason. Enjoy Thank yourself you down there. You. I'll talk to you soon. Jason right, Lockin for our boys and girls. Um, we will take a break. Michael Wilbon will join us when we return a little out of order today. I am Tony Kornheiser. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. If you've been listening to the show, you've heard me talk about FrameBridge. They make it super easy and affordable to frame your favorite things from art prints and posters to the photos sitting on your phone. As I look over at the wall here, I see two FrameBridge things, both golf deals, right? It makes me very happy. Here's how it works. And with Valentine's Day approaching, you can create a unique and thoughtful gift that will last for years. Go to FrameBridge.com, upload your photo, or they'll send you packaging to safely mail in your physical pieces. Preview your item online in any frame style. Choose your favorite or get free recommendations from their talented designers. The experts at FrameBridge will custom frame your item, deliver your finished piece directly to your door, ready to hang. And instead of the hundreds you'd pay at a framing store, their prices start at $39. All shipping is free. Plus, my listeners will get 15% off their first order at FrameBridge.com when they use the code Tony K. Get started today. Frame your photos or give the perfect Valentine's gift. Go to FrameBridge.com. Use the promo code Tony K to save an additional 15% off your first order. FrameBridge.com, promo code Tony K. One more time. FrameBridge.com, promo code Tony K. And by all means, people, use the code. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. One more time. This is Church and State, sent to us by George Washburn. This is for Wilbon. This is called Black Cadillac. Not Pink Cadillac by Bruce Springsteen, but Black Cadillac. <laughs> Michael, if people like George Washburn want to send in original music, how do they do it? Send us your music by emailing it to jingles at TonyCornizerShow.com. So Wilbon and I, last night, we were talking about Patrick Reed. And I just assumed we would talk exclusively about Patrick Reed. But I got a text late last night about the Wizards and the Nets game. A game that the Washington Post, for which I pay eight weeks delivery, over $100. Mike, it's not even in the paper. That's an 8 o'clock game. It's not even in the paper today. So I didn't know. 8 o'clock game was a 7 o'clock game. So I didn't, it didn't even make the paper. Now, maybe that has to do with snow runs, you know, and I understand maybe. that. Maybe yeah. they wanted to get the paper out early, so I'm not going to scream and yell, but I had no knowledge of this game, and you said we've got to talk about this yeah. game. Yeah. So for the people that don't, A, don't know what happened, and B, say, wait a second, we have to talk about the Wizards? <laughs> really? Yeah, yeah, really? Yeah. Explain yeah. what happened. 
Go ahead. Yeah, Tony, I turned on, and the Wizards are they're in it. It's a competitive game. You know, Westbrook is having his best game as a Wizard. Bradley Beal is having another typical great Bradley Beal scoring game. And it's back and forth. It's entertaining as hell. Because the Nets, while they may get out of the East, they may get to the finals, they may get at least to the conference finals, they don't even attempt to play defense. They have no <laughs> idea. And so it's, it's the kind of game the All-Star game wishes it could be, in that it's back and forth and it's contentious, but nobody's any good at defense. And so you get to a point where the Wizards are just not going to win. I'm on the phone with Neville, and we're going back and forth. Because this is, this is Brooklyn. This is, this is probably the most the team in the East that people want to see play most. I mean, Philly yes. may wind up being better. The Celtics may wind up being better. Milwaukee doesn't. Not, they don't Milwaukee have the star power. Play. No, they don't. They don't have it. Nope. nope. So Brooklyn is playing. Harden's not playing. But Durant and Kyrie are in full mode, man. They are going at it back and forth with Westbrook and, and Beal. And it's just the Wizards aren't going to have enough again. They're going to lose by four or five. It's, just, you know, it's a five-point Brooklyn lead with 12 seconds left. And Beal gets the ball in bounds after a couple of Kyrie free throws. He goes you know, just madly into a launch of a three-pointer, swishes it. So the, they're still down two, and there's only seven seconds left, and Brooklyn's got the ball. But there's a kid on that team, and I don't even know who this is, um, white kid, wing player, guard or wing, maybe what, 6'4", six, 6'5". Six, I don't even know who the kid is. I think it's Joe He's, Harris. No, 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 no. No, 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 on the Wizards. It's a kid oh, named Matthews. Oh, it's a kid Max named Matthews. It's like Steals Garrison it. Matthews or something yeah. like that. Yeah. Steals the inbounds pass. Steals it clean. Steals it. Hands it to, essentially hands it. Now, in the to clock is ticking, you're under seven, because seven seconds left when Beal made his shot. Hand it to Westbrook, who had just bricked a three earlier. Than the free, he's not a good three-point three shooter. He's he not. three anymore. Nope, he's not. He just goes right up as if it's 2015, like an MVP here for Westbrook, and he switches it to give them the lead. And then, and then Tony, the drama doesn't even end there. I mean, you know, it's four seconds left, 4.3, but the Wizards are now ahead by one because of two threes in seven seconds. And Durant is going to score and win the game, except that uh, Russ steals the ball from him. It goes out of bounds. Now there's two seconds left. And the Wizards, after the inbounds play, they are, they're going to give up an open, uncontested layup Except whoever is shooting the ball for the Nets just misses an uncontested, in your backyard, on the garage door hoop layup. He misses. Wow. He just misses it, and so, and the Wizards wind up. There's more drama because they, you know, they they're going to get the ball back. Uh, the Wizards get free throws. Yeah, Beal hit. Beal hit. You know, both free throws. I thought he missed the last free throw, but luckily for the Wizards, the Nets don't have a timeout. But when but when the two threes go in, it, it's a it's a run through the house screaming moment in he in my house and you know Matthews on another he's playing video games or something but he's watching the Wizards because he you know Kyrie must be one of his two or three favorite players in the league and it, it's it's the kind of game immediately that if you're watching even if you're not vested in the Wizards you have to think wow they've now beaten the Nets twice they only got four wins. And two of them are against the Nets. What does it mean? 
Can they turn their season around today? Does this turn them? Westbrook looked great. And Westbrook, after the game, you know, we, Westbrook's a realist. And, he, and somebody said, what just happened? And Westbrook said, well, in my case, if you ask about me and that was the question, I, I'm getting my legs back. I'm getting healthier. I'm, I'm getting to the point where I'm like I'm in NBA playing shape, which was just an honest, you know, realist assessment of where he is right now. And you go, this is a, the, for the game itself was just amazing. And the Nets are involved in these things, Tony, every night. They scored 147, a club regulation record, 147, two nights earlier, club record. Well, if they'd made that layup, they would have had a new club record the next night of 148. Yeah, the final score for people who don't know, which is 99.9% of the people listening to the show, the final score is 149-146. And let me point two things out. That's not with overtime. There's no, no overtime. No 149, no. 146, and Paul Westhead is not coaching either team. That's right. So, That's right. so, so there's no. The best scorer in since Kobe Bryant was not play. Didn't play. James Harden didn't play. I thought they had the rest. I, I, they're playing the Wizards. The Wizards were three and something. I thought no. I said, okay, they're going to rest somebody. It won't be Durant because Durant just rested. Durant doesn't like doing that. He doesn't like being rested. So Harden did. And it was the the game was amazing theater, the end of it. Um, and yet, what are the takeaways? I mean, so can the Wizards? No, the Wizards can't score like this all the time. But does this change their season? Because I think they've got talent enough to be a playoff team, even if it's now eight is all that is about possible because they got off to such a slow start, abbreviated season. And the other thing is, what does it what does it mean that Brooklyn keeps doing this? I mean, and Harden keeps saying to them every night in a pretty stern way that people would not associate with James Harden. Harden comes in the postgame and he says, look, this is nice. It's entertaining. You, you don't win this way. You cannot win this way. We cannot win this way. But they keep doing it every night. It's just wildly entertaining for people who either love or hate Brooklyn. It's wildly entertaining. Now, let me get off that for a little while. Let me go to Patrick Reed, which uh... – Michael opened the show and gave his opinions about Patrick Reed, and you don't like Patrick Reed, and you think Patrick Reed cheated, do you not? I, you know, I think he, I, the attempt, the intent and attempt <laughs> seem to suggest right, that. Right. My bigger problem with Patrick Reed, Tony, is whether or not he cheated Saturday, is that Patrick Reed's reputation is what put him in the predicament. His mm-hmm. reputation is being a cheat, a bad guy, a guy that people on tour dislike. Other players now dislike. Patrick Reed's reputation did that. Patrick Reed's reputation that followed him from college. We yes. was kicked off one team, went and won a, champion, a national championship two. playing for Two national championships. Two. 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 Yeah. This, guy, this guy had one of the great college careers of all time, and people don't like him. I will and say this, because I watched this intently as you did yesterday. Man, oh man! If you let him chip or get out of a bunker, yeah. he puts everything to a foot. He yeah. puts it to a foot. Yeah. He's got one of the great he's, games in. in he's really, court. he's really, really good. And people, but really, his reputation really is him. not. Yeah, and well. they, they do, Tony. This is entirely about reputation, because yes. as we know, you know, Rory had something fairly similar. No, not not fairly similar as they described it. Exactly the same situation. He called playing partners over and said, "Hey." As you, as is the custom, as as befits the rules, and said, "Hey, this is 
you know, whatever, embedded, whatever the word he used was, Rory. And they played on, and Rory, who is like, you know, a stickler for the rules, and everybody observes that, his reputation is 180 degrees opposite, and nary a word was said. That's right. And it's just a study in contrast. I don't know whether, I, I don't know whether he cheated or not. I, I don't know. Um, but in that culture, he is just seen as a, he's a pariah, is he not? I don't know if he's a pariah. The analogy it's I made to you yesterday and I will make on the air again today is when Joel Embiid got fouled by LeBron James and Joel Embiid said this should be a flagrant two. Joel Embiid's own coach, own coach, Doc Rivers said, eh, you know, everybody knows LeBron isn't a dirty player. That is his reputation. Right. Spotless, the same That's as right. Rory's. It is. And I said to you, if that had been Markeith Morris, he'd have been ejected on the yeah. spot. <laughs> That's right. Ejected on the spot. There's just no yeah, question about it. I so just, Patrick you know, Reed Patrick Reed suffers, but Patrick Reed created his own reputation. He did it. He, he created his own reputation yes. over a period of yes. years. Yes. When he was a young guy, when he was somewhere, and when he was in his late teens and then early 20s. Yes. So, yeah, and then he wins. And so what do you make of it? You know, I always say that uh, the, you know, big muscle-bound uh, kid from Louisiana is the De- is golf's village. DeChambeau. You know I mean, it's- Patrick Reed has won a lot more than DeChambeau on tour. And he's, yes. he's, a, he's, a, he's, a, he's a much more identifiable villain. He may not be as obviously talented as DeChambeau, but as you meant, Tony, that was his ninth or tenth win on he wins. tour. He, he wins. He wins. Yeah. Yes. He wins, much and he's bigger, got a much, major much also. Much more villainous. Much more villainous. You know, yeah. They both have one major at to this point, and, and he wins. Very... And he it was an entertaining, Masters. yes. He won Augusta, no less. It was an entertaining tournament, except that people just f- kept falling backwards. You know what I mean? Like nobody, there was no particular pressure on Reed, and Reed took the pressure off himself by being such a great short game player. Well, he well, was he's just, giving him he was so good. There were the other guys didn't go backwards, Tony. They just they they shot they, like four guys shot three under yesterday. I don't call that going backwards. They didn't play. They weren't overwhelming, but 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 three or four guys, at least four shot. Six fifty nine. I, I I didn't I didn't think they went backward. It wasn't a tournament where people were making charges, right? But I thought it was right. entertaining. And and I love. Look, I I've played Tory Pines. I don't know a, a dozen times um, because all that time in my life when I was out in L A. and doing NBA stuff for the network on Friday night and drive Sunday down. afternoon. I would drive down, and every anybody's willing to meet you, and people are willing to drive down, and it's yep. just the most beautiful place. And it's it's you know what. I guess it. I guess it's not as beautiful as Pebble Beach, but my God, when it is sunny and perfect, the Torrey Pines, it's right it's beautiful. there. The hang gliders are all over. That's beautiful, stunning, man. And yeah. I've, 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 had, I've had one of my greatest rounds of my life was at Pebble Beach South because it, it had been redone earlier than North. Both of them have been redone now in the last I don't know twelve, twelve years, something like that. And um, wow, it's just cool to watch when you know every every part of the course. So Reed, you know, Reed has now set himself up to be also somebody that you peek in and you want to see on this West Coast swing because Pebble is coming up, Riviera is coming That's up. Right. They're all coming up That's in right. the next couple of weeks. That's right. Phoenix is first, and then those two. Yes, yeah, this week, right. this week Arizona. I'd love to be there. I guess I'm not going to. Let me get out of this and go to something else. And, and, and it's Matthew Stafford. And the reason I want to go to it is because this is the division that the Bears are in. Yeah. So you have more than a passing 
notion of who's good and who's not good. You and I differ on Stafford. I think Stafford's real good, and you say he doesn't win any games. He isn't that good. How does this affect that division? And how, how does it affect the Rams, but how does it affect your division? Well, it depends on whether Goff stays there. or I don't think they're going to trade him after giving up those picks, although they can get the picks back. Or whether, you know, and, and whether Goff can be coached up. Look, Goff has mm-hmm. had higher highs than Matthew Stafford. He just has. He's been Super Bowl. He can't hit them. He can't hit them consistently, which is the, which is the, that's the characteristic of, of most players in any professional sport. Most of them can't consistently be great. Otherwise, they'd be great. So neither can Stafford. I mean, Stafford. Stafford's not special. Stafford has a lot of talent. He can throw it. Okay, and maybe uh, clearly the Rams think they can get more consistency out of him. He's made the playoffs three times in 12 years. Yes, That's and he's over. He's over. Well, Goff he's playing on lousy playoffs team. playoffs three times in yes. five years or whatever it is. So, so I don't, I, you know, look, Stafford's got the talent. He's, got, he's the kind of guy, and he was the overall number one. He's the guy that coaches look at and say, wow, if I had him, and you know how all coaches are, they all think they're the staff to get this consistency out of him that the other guys 2,000 miles away didn't get. So there's been, there's been one, there's been two great quarterbacks in the NFC Central in the last 40 years. Rodgers and Favre. That's it? Yep. yep. That's it. Other people have had guys who had great moments, Jim McMahon. Jim McMahon couldn't sustain it because of injuries. It was clearly well, in him, and he, they clearly got it out once. Tarkenton, but who, but that's who, before no. your time period. Yeah, that's before who, your time who period. Who did you say? Yeah, Tarkenton, but it's before oh, the time before you're talking about. Time period. I grew up watching every game. No, 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 played. no. It's not in the last forty years. Well, not in the last it's forty years. That. Right, 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 right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, 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 Fran Tarkenton before. It didn't matter. By the way, it's, it's I was looking up before Super Bowl. Uh, you like this toy? Our text chain I'm on with a bunch of sports fanatics and knowledgeable people, including my brother. They were talking about the number of interceptions thrown versus touchdowns. And I said, look, in the 1960s and 70s, not to mention the 50s, everybody threw more interceptions, not two-to-one ratio, not three-to-one, not throwing it sideways two yards. Everybody threw yeah, more Namath touchdowns did. than picks. Namath did. But people mm-hmm. like, look, Fran Tarkenton threw, like, you know, he, he was the outlier. He threw, like, 75 more touchdowns than interceptions. I mean, it, the, the number of people, Ken Stabler, Ken Stabler threw like 40 more interceptions than touchdowns. Isn't Kenny Stabler in the Hall of Fame? Yeah, Namath was, Namath was within 15. That Namath was really close in, in his I race. Thought Namath threw, I thought Namath threw more interceptions. You're saying he did not? I he may have. I looked up a lot he, of guys. He may have, but it's very, very close. In other words, as much as I love Joe Namath, I cannot defend him as an accurate passer. I cannot. Well, no one would, but no one was accurate. Right. Terry Bradshaw, here's an example. Terry Bradshaw. He threw a lot of picks. Okay, a lot of he picks. threw 212 touchdowns. How many picks do you think he threw? 185 to 190. 210. Okay, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't surprise happened. me. So Stafford yeah. is just in a long line of, and in that division, in the NFC Central, which you asked me about, there's just a yeah. long line of guys who had a moment. They're not, yeah. only, there's only two great guys since Tarkenton. That's right, and two so, Green Bay guys. So, and, he, and Matthew Stafford's not one of them. He's got the talent, and maybe he'll go out there and they'll squeeze the drops out of him, and he'll have get to the Super Bowl once or get to the title yeah. game. Things he, you know what? I'm going to say Matthew Stafford's never won a playoff game. 
I don't no, he has that. not. He no, okay. he has not. So, but I've got them in the Super Bowl next year. Me, I got him. What? Yeah, 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 yeah. They better yeah. keep Kenny Galladay. They better go out and sign an additional receiver, a free agent guy like Robinson on the Bears, who, who probably will leave. They, Tony, they're the Detroit Lions, dude. No, 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 no. I've got Stafford taking the Rams to the Super Bowl. Oh right, right, right. But yeah, but I'm saying he's yeah. the Detroit Lions. He, he oh yeah, the Lions terrible. Changes him. He's yeah. the Detroit. I, I understand. Lions. I get it. I know I do. I get it. You're right. Yeah. I mean, we'll see. All right. Yeah. I will talk to you later. All right, Tom. Thanks. Michael Wilbon, boys and girls. Uh, we will take a break. We will come back, email and jingle. I am Tony Kornheiser. This is the Tony Kornheiser Show. Truist believes in the potential of communities everywhere. So we are creating a segment during the NFL playoffs, highlighting a moment of unexpected potential. Truist believes potential is everywhere, not just on Main Street, but all the way to the gridiron. That's why we're breaking down this week's most inspiring football moments and highlighting Kansas City, who came together and reached their potential. With time winding down in the fourth, Kansas City made a bold decision to go for it on fourth and short from their own 49. The gamble paid off as Kansas City converted. Yes, that was Chad Henney when Tony Romo said, don't worry, there's not going to be a play. Don't worry, just stand there. There's no play. The gamble paid off as Kansas City converted and ran the clock out, sending them to their second consecutive conference championship. Yards of Potential, presented by Truist. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. Sugar, much worse than ketchup. (laughs) What are we doing here? Roberta Donna is confused. I just can't believe that condiments are all we hear. Condiments are all we hear. Ravioli is my benchmark for Italian food. That's how I'll be judging you. Put a little mayo on your grilled cheese. Put a little mayo on your grilled cheese. Brad Weiss. Brad Weiss said, if I can, I'd like to request a discussion of chutneys, sambals, and romesco sauce. I have opinions. It's a wonderful jingle. Nigel, why don't you do the Bethesda bagel read, even though you didn't go today because your tiny little car couldn't get through one inch of snow. You broke his heart. Yeah. Yes, I'm sorry. Uh, yes, I did not venture out today on the uh, on the roads of my toy car, but you could go to BethesdaBagels.com uh, for the location in D.C. nearest you. Then head on in, and you will be thrilled. That'll just about do it for us today. Before we get to the mailbag, let me say, okay, campers, rise and shine. Don't forget your booties because it's cold out there today. It's cold out there every day. Thanks to our guests today, Michael Wilbon, Jason Lockenfora. Thanks to our sponsors, Framebridge, Truist, Fitbod. Uh, And remember that you can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Radio.com. If you get the show through iTunes, please leave us a review. Brad Weiss, who did the jingle, also has the first email. As we are on the subject of flushes with greatness, I have a tale to share. While a young assistant professor, I was fortunate to carry out research for six weeks in Rome in the Vatican-adjacent archives of a celebrated society of missionaries. One afternoon, I went to seek relief in the restroom of the archive, and there standing before me, having arrived just before I did, was His Holiness, John Paul II. There was no room at the adjacent urinal, as it was quite an elaborate uh, affair, robed as he was in the garments, cassock, and vestments befitting his station, I could but stand and wait my turn. By this point, the Bishop of Rome was rather aged and Parkinsonian, so the wait was substantial. The name Methuselah comes to mind. But finish he did, hitching up his regalia and washing his hands in the sink. 
That is some holy water, Pontiff, I remarked. Mea culpa, he replied with a sly grin. Te absolvo, I responded. So I got that going for me. That is just such a great email. From Aaron Fiddler. Greetings from Sydney, Australia. I thought you might be interested to know how the payday delivery came to be, and I bet you weren't expecting Australia to play a role in this story. I'm a long-time listener going back to the early 2000s. I've emailed a few times, but clearly lacked the requisite wit to be worthy of an on-air read. Before moving to Sydney in January of 2017, I lived in the U.S., and Hershey was a client of mine for many years. I'm still friends with a few people there, and I recently mentioned to one of them, David Nolan, that you're a big fan of payday bars and have spoken about them several times on your podcast. I suggested it would be fun for them to send you some of your favorite Hershey product. Kudos to David and the awesome marketing team at Hershey for taking the idea and running with it. A couple of weeks after I connected with David, he sent me an email saying that Hershey was sending you some product. I had no idea they were going to send you so much. They must have listened to the podcast and heard Michael's comments about you needing to eat more. That or they sent a few extra specifically for Chris so that we can all say eat it, Salissa. The team at Hershey wasn't sure if the package would get to you or if you would mention it. So I hope they're happy with the end result and that you're happy with an endless supply of payday bars. Thank you for hours of entertainment. My kids and I love listening to your show. It's a nice way to stay connected to D.C., while we are living on the other side of the world. P.S. My kids have requested that you pay, play Reginald's theme song as often as possible. I'm not <laughs> sure there's anything in the world they like more than screaming. Sometimes he throws poo, poo, poo at the top of their lungs when the song comes on. Tim Ryder, senior writer for News Edit and News Editor from Metsmerized Online. Hey, I have a question for Tony. In the late 70s, he covered the New York Cosmos for the New York Times. My grandfather also covered the team during that era. Filippo Crisofulli. Um, he did it for Il Progresso. That's an Italian language newspaper, I think. Um, as legend has it, Giorgio Canaglia ripped his necklace off during a post-game interview. Passed away last year. I'm trying to find any information that might be available regarding the incident. Saw Tony's Canaglia piece from 1977. Figure he might remember. I do not remember that. I would ask, I would try and get to a man named Alex Giannis, Y-A-N-N-I-S, who used to cover that team more specifically for the New York Times in that period of time. Alex Giannis, see if you can get him. Mark Larson in Salt Lake City, Utah. Can you please explain to me how caramel exists in nature? I don't recall extracting caramel sap from the caramel tree to make my mom's favorite treats. Are you suggesting it exists in nature because its ingredients, that being sugar, cream, and butter, exist in nature? If we take that line of logic, does chocolate cake exist in nature? The knowledge shared on this program never fails to amuse me. Can I tell you? I believe it exists in nature. It's a candy bar with peanuts and caramel, both of which exist in nature. Brett Boyle in St. Louis, Missouri, on a recent show... You went to great lengths to expose the wonderful attributes of the payday candy bar, of which I share your passion. But hold on, Sparky. One of your reasons for your love of said candy bar was because its two main ingredients, peanuts and caramel, are totally natural and exist in nature. Really? Does one drill for caramel, a la an Oklahoma oil field? Or perhaps caramel buds are planted in Sweden as crop rotation with the steel harvest every year? The answer, of course, is no to both. Caramel is a product of a number of ingredients, sugar, butter, cream, salt, and vanilla. So sure, caramel exists in nature to the extent Johnny Walker, blue, exists in nature as well. My point exactly. From Brian in New Braunfels, Texas. I once knew a man who owned a horseradish farm. He drove to San Antonio and unleashed a bee swarm. Not an accident, but retribution. Part of the animal revolution. This should be cause for alarm. Love that. Um, from Doug Steinhurst. Dear Grandpa Tony, the Church of the Orange, I love it. I'm now an Orthodox uh, member of that. The commandments, thou shalt not drive at the Subaru. Track the moon cycle, look at the moon, remind others to look at the moon. From Chad, about uh, Larry King, two of these. Call him legend. Calling him legend is never hyperbole. Rest in peace, Larry. 
And I have never learned anything when Saliza speaks and prattles on, which we like that. Uh, Neil in Rockville. I hate to delve into the kingdom of Shad, but here is a haiku for Larry King. Lover of baseball, lunch at Duke's, dinner at Palm, a spitter of salad. From Kenny Ray in Fort Walton Beach, Florida. There once was a man who grew horseradish, a profession that was really quite faddish. She'll say one last time, even though it won't rhyme, my name's pronounced Gene, not Jeannie. Really like that. <laughs> and, and a Brad Weiss limerick. It's Brad Weiss is all over the show today, and this is for Jeannie. A man I once knew farmed horseradish, so his condiment game was not faddish. His produce was fabled at all Seder tables in an artesian-made Hillel sandwich, and there ain't no mayo on that. And from Mike... Uh, Aftal in, in Calhoun, Georgia. I once went, met a man with a horseradish farm. A condiment I asked to great alarm. I begged him, sir, please. He then made grilled cheese with mayo, crisp bread, and cheese warm. If you're out on your bike tonight, everyone, do wear white. Now, don't you tell me you don't remember me because I sure as heck fire remember you. Not a chance. Ding. <laughs>